Hey everyone, welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. Um, this is Pastor Laura Hutchinson from First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama. I am coming to you today to talk to you about Jesus as the Lamb of God. What does it mean to call Jesus the Lamb of God? And what does it mean that Jesus was the Lamb of God? What does it mean for us today? What did it mean um, that day when John the Baptist saw him walking by and declared him twice in one, in, in one text? Here is the Lamb of God. So what we're talking about today is redemption and atonement and all of those big theological words, but hopefully um, this won't feel like a big theological sermon. Hopefully this will feel like something that is meant just for you. So I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that it speaks to you. I hope that it speaks to your heart and to your soul. And I pray that uh, God blesses you through the sermon or through some other way today and in the week to come. I love you all. Bye. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight my strength, and my Redeemer. Amen. I'm going to read to you again John 1, 29-42. John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Today our sermon is about lambs and sheep. Or rather, one special lamb in particular. Jesus, the Lamb of God. In Christianity, we hear all the time that Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. We've heard it so many times that it almost becomes white noise in the world of Christian discourse. So in preparation for this sermon as a way of quieting the white noise and to get reacquainted with the concept of the Lamb, I spent some time with a bunch of lambs 
this week. Not in person, of course. I would not know where to find a lamb around here, although if you know, let me know because I would love to see them. But there are gobs of videos of frolicking lambs on YouTube. And so I watch them. You know what I found? Joy. And peace. These little creatures are the happiest things I have ever seen. And their constant bouncing and hopping and headbutting and bleeding and snuggling and playing nature made me happy just to watch them. Lambs are stinking cute, right? And the expression on their faces is one of pure innocence and peace and vulnerability. They're so vulnerable and innocent. Which is probably why sheep and lambs show up in children's literature so much. Think of all the ways that we talk about sheep and lambs, especially to our kids. Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. Leave them alone and they'll come home, waggling their tails behind them. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, that lamb was sure to go. That was a true story I found out. Baba, black sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. Little boy blue, come blow your horn, the sheep's in the meadow and the cow's in the corn. And we even teach our children to count sheep to help them fall asleep at night. Lambs and sheep invoke within us feelings of peace and gentleness. They're happy, joyful creatures, and just about the least threatening thing on the planet. Perhaps that is why sheep or lambs were also used as animal sacrifices for the purpose of atonement of sins, and also as an act of obedience for Israelite families to remember the Passover. Their innocence equaled purity from sin. And in our scripture today, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, not once, but twice. His innocence equals purity of sin. John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples as they, as they watched Jesus walk by, and he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The People's New Testament commentary says that John the Baptist here becomes a witness to the Christian doctrine of atonement, the sacrificial death of Jesus for the sins of others. The Christ event here replaces the temple ritual as the means of God's forgiveness. In other words, no longer do we have to sacrifice in the temple to receive forgiveness from God. The image is related to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53.6, who dies as an innocent lamb for the sins of others. Lamb imagery is important for this fourth gospel of John, The passion story is told in such a way that Jesus dies at the same time that the Passover lambs are being sacrificed in the temple. The Passover lamb 
was not a sacrifice for sins, as was the regular sacrifice of lambs in the temple. But there is some overlapping imagery here. Already, Paul, who understands Jesus' death as a sacrifice for sins, can also consider Christ as the Passover lamb sacrificed for us. The commentary said that John the Baptist became a witness to the Christian doctrine of atonement. But what does that mean, exactly? What is atonement? It's not a word we tend to throw around on a daily basis, right? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines atonement as reparation for wrong or injury. As in, she wanted to make atonement for her husband's behavior. I'd love to know what he was up to, right? In religious context, it means reparation for sin. Repairing the damages caused by sin. As in, an annual ceremony of confession and atonement for sin. And then in Christian theology, it means the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. Jesus brings the humanity and God together. In other words, John the Baptist declares here in our scripture that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is going to repair all of the damage our sins have done to humanity's relationship with God. Amen? And how is he going to do that? In the same way that the sacrificial lambs were given to God in the temple for the forgiveness of sins, and in the same way that the blood of the lambs had been used to protect the Israelites from God's wrath against Egypt, Jesus' blood will be shed for us. Exodus 12, 1-13 says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. This explains the Jewish calendar. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until 14 days of this month, until the 14th day of this month. And then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. That is going to be one rough night. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over a fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girdered, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat hurriedly, for you will be leaving quickly. That's not what the scripture says. I added that part. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now imagine if that Exodus text read like this. The blood of Christ shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no judgment shall destroy you when I come. Okay, so Jesus was the human and divine embodiment of the sacrificial lamb. With his blood, God's judgment passes over us, but how? How did Jesus' death take away the sins of the world? Tim Keller is a contemporary Presbyterian theologian and a preacher that says no greater pain has ever been experienced on any level than the hell of Christ suffering on the cross. But why? Because he carried all of that pain, sin, guilt, and shame in that moment. Yet on a far deeper level, he was forsaken and punished for us to reconcile us to God. Keller illustrates it this way. If after service some Sunday morning, one of the members of my church comes to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, I will feel pretty bad. But if today my wife comes up to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, that is a lot worse. The longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. But this forsakenness, this loss, was between the Father and the Son, who had loved each other from all eternity. Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not a rhetorical question. And the answer is for you, for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. On that Passover night in Egypt, everyone but God, but God's people, felt God's judgment for the sins that they had committed. God gave the Israelites a way to avoid punishment. Well, in Christ Jesus, God has given every person a way to avoid judgment and punishment. God has given every person a way to avoid judgment and punishment for our sins. In Jesus, all of humanity became chosen for the Passover. Jesus was the final sacrificial lamb, the perfect, unblemished, innocent, vulnerable lamb of God, who, unlike all of the precious lambs before him, gave himself willingly to cleanse us of all wrongdoing. God is not just good, huh? God is profoundly awesome. 
Because though he had all of the power of a mighty lion, God gave himself over as the sacrificial lamb so that we could escape judgment once and for all. Praise God! Amen? Amen. Amen.